dive deep into the blockchain realm with the Protocol Podcast with Coindesk founding editor of the Protocol Newsletter, Brad Count, and tech journalists, Sam Kessler and Margot Nykirk. They unravel the intricate technologies powering cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum, one block at a time. Just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Hello and welcome to the Protocol Podcast. I'm Brad Kahn here with my co-hosts Margo Nykirk and Sam Kessler. Please do not forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol, on Coindesk.com. And let's dive into it with the latest news and developments in technology behind crypto and blockchains. Sam, Margo, y'all had your coffee this morning? In progress. In progress. Yeah, same Which yeah. is Oslo Coffee down the street from me in Brooklyn and highly recommend it if you're ever Oh, really? Around. What's spe- what's special about it? We're not paid by Oslo Coffee. Just It's the it. best coffee in Brooklyn. It's the best coffee oh, really? in Brooklyn. Yeah. It really is. It really is. What makes it that? It's got to be the beans. It's got to be the beans. Margo, you've been there. <laughs> yeah, but I haven't been to the Brooklyn one, only the Manhattan one. But yeah, I got to say it's also pretty oh, good shoot. in downtown Manhattan. Yeah. It might be. So it's the best coffee in Brooklyn and Manhattan. Yes. Um, yeah, two out of the five boroughs. Unpaid. I don't even know if there's if they have them in other boroughs, but <laughs> they haven't made it to Queens yet. <laughs> but, uh, all right, well, let's get into it here. Okay, first story here: Sam's piece on Infura, which is part of uh, Consensus, the Ethereum developer. Um, they're probably one of the more powerful players, a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, Sam, why don't you just tell us, just summarize the story for us, real quick. Yeah, at a high level, you know, virtually any developer who has interacted with Ethereum, but more recently any blockchain, has probably used or come into contact with Infura, which is a product built by originally the Ethereum developer Consensus to essentially let developers plug their apps into blockchains, read, write data, and so on without setting up their own nodes and all of that complicated stuff that you got to do to hook up with the blockchain yourself. And as a result of their ease of use, they've become a kind of dominant player in the space, which, you know, presents theoretically some problems for the wider ecosystem, like censorship and, you know, reliability. If Infura and their servers fall offline, then all of the apps rely on them, you know, are subject to suffering similar outages. So essentially, Infura has recently, or at least last year, announced that they would move towards decentralizing their service more in keeping with the crypto ethos. And this news today, um, or yesterday, was that they partnered with some big names in addition to some crypto-specific companies in order to start making that vision a reality. But it is a small, a small step with this decentralized infrastructure network or DIN. You know, I, I read in your piece that they had announced that this was coming over a year ago, um, and so I'm wondering why this has taken them so long to finally get to this like initial point. If you've if they've mentioned that in any yeah. of the conversations you have with them. It's a good question. I didn't actually ask about that specifically. Maybe I, I probably should have. But like, I suspect the reason why it's taken around a year is because when they announced this, it sounds like they really didn't have that foundation yet. And in order to create this quote unquote decentralized network, they needed to partner with a bunch of other companies. And some of those companies are, are competitors to themselves. And right. so I guess it took them time to, you know, do the persuading, do the deals to kind of make this make this happen. And we can talk, you know, about the details of, you know, what Well, that let's just is. real quick. I mean, what is this and how how does it work? 
Yeah. So I, I mentioned that whole reliability thing and the decentralized infrastructure network, which is currently just a network um, or, you know, you can just think of it as like a consortium or a group of partners within Fura. This network is at least initially a way to help Infura with that reliability problem, where from now on, if Infura falls offline and users have toggled a certain feature um, on, like developers have toggled on this failover feature is what they call it, now they will fall back to one of these partners, be they Microsoft or Tencent, the Chinese technology firm, who are two of the partners. Now users will tap into those systems rather than Infura's native system. Small steps. Yeah, no, that's kind of ironic because those are kind of like big centralized companies, right? So I think it's in their plan to decentralize, to rely on such like power players and, and you know, other parts of the, the wider tech like industry, kind of funny to see. But also I was wondering, like you'd mentioned that in the event of an outage, there had been an outage, right? With Infura like about over a year ago. Since then, like, I think that sort of drew attention to people, right? That like there is this like heavy reliance on Infura if you are running a dApp on Ethereum. But I haven't noticed like any kind of, and maybe it's just my crypto Twitter, my own personal algorithm, but I haven't noticed any kind of push, you know, since that instance to like actually decentralize it. So I'm wondering if this is just like a, in the moment, you know, when something like this happens, that there is this sort of like realization like, oh, we actually do need to tackle this problem. And is it actually that big of a problem? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the sort of thing like everything in crypto is like cyclical. And I feel like this is one of those things, this being the centralization of key pillars of the ecosystem, like Infura, another one, Alchemy does a similar job and is also centralized. This comes up, I feel like every six months to a year, you see a bunch of articles about it, and then it kind of starts to fade into the background, partially why we haven't heard about it as much is because alternatives have come up, some of whom are, you know, partnering with consensus as a part of this decentralized infrastructure network that have Mm -hmm. certain advantages when it comes to decentralization, but can't do all of the things that Infura can do. But Mm -hmm. I I do think that you hit on something else here, which is maybe implicitly, you kind of mentioned this, which is, this is, it's a baby step towards decentralization. These are centralized companies that they're partnering with. It's a quote unquote, federated network, meaning consensus and Infura, they're the ones who are selecting all of their partners. So calling it decentralized is everything's on a spectrum. It's a bit of a a misnomer, though, I think at this point. So it does help with this reliability stuff. But in terms of that broader ethos question around how crypto is supposed to work, just reading decentralized infrastructure network sounds great. But if you look at how they're using it now, it probably doesn't live up exactly to the expectation that the name kind of carries with it. That's really interesting, Sam. I mean, it gets to the question of, uh, you know, uh, what is decentralization? It may be, in some cases, you know, a case by case, eye of the beholder kind of thing, right? Or, mm-hmm. but, but second, like, what are the benefits of decentralization? You know, people think a lot about the anti censorship, and so you can't have any one party in control, but there's also the benefits of the resilience, right? And, and, and having backups, you know, lots of backups. It seems like that's kind of the, the point here, the way you're describing it. But I'm curious, you know, Infura, again, they're so behind the scenes, you know, we don't write about them a lot and they are a key player. Is it, so, so just describe, you know, it's not just that you, you use it to build your app. You, you need it on an ongoing mm-hmm. basis. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Like, basically, what Infure is, is, or at least the main feature that people use it for is an API, an application, you know, programming interface, which is a set of features that an app builder can call or can kind of like invoke in their apps on either a one-off or an on, like you said, an ongoing basis. So maybe, you know, I'm building an NFT app that, you know, needs to, you know, tap, or maybe I'm building here, here's a really good example. MetaMask actually kind of uses Infura because MetaMask is also a consensus company. The very popular, the most popular crypto wallet. They use Infura and Infura and Infura's API allows MetaMask to facilitate its transactions just at a you know fundamental level. So when Fura goes offline, MetaMask just doesn't work. It can't you know make those calls to smart contracts and so on and so forth that it needs to do in order to allow users to use it the way it's supposed to be used. So it, it really is a core piece of infrastructure. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is okay. So that is why it's so crucial, right? Uh, yeah. And you can this. also think of it yeah. like this This solves the reliability or part of the reliability problem, which is one of the concrete issues that decentralization can help solve. But it doesn't solve one of the other problems around censorship, if you think of it as a problem, which some people in the crypto um, space do. And the concrete example here is that when Tornado Cash, that big Ethereum mixer program, was sanctioned by the U.S. government, we uh, found that in Fura, we being you know the broader community, very easily was able to see that Infura and other similar infrastructure were starting to, quote unquote, censor the smart contracts associated with this controversial program, which they might have had to do to comply with sanctions in their interpretation. But some people you can imagine were pretty upset about that, especially people outside of the United States who use these services. Fascinating. You know, I mean, also, obviously, consensus is a, is a, is a closely watched firm and a lot of people you know, see them as kind of a big player. So interesting that it's, it's part of, uh, part of their universe. Well, okay, let us move on to the next topic, which, uh, also was one of your big hits this week, Sam, you know, and, uh, just backstory here. This is, there's a term called intense, you know, sometimes these words become jargon they're just a normal word and then it becomes something very specific we're talking about in the crypto context. We've just seen this term percolating in our conversations with sources. And I said, hey, Sam, why don't you write an article about this? Tell us why it matters and what these things are. Why don't, why don't we start, Sam? So Sam's story was intense are blockchains, big new buzzword. What are they? What are the risks? It's pretty arcane stuff, but it is super important and it gets at the broader theme of, you know, where is all of this going, the blockchain development? But why don't we just start, Sam, before we get into the why it matters, just tell us what these intents are. I hope listeners are ready to, to hear my voice. More my Oslo voice today. coffee. <laughs> yeah, no, the Oslo. Yeah, everybody should sip along with me. If you're in Intense. Queens. <laughs> go, go to Brooklyn or Manhattan or uh, Manhattan, okay. maybe Queens. We gotta Google it. Um, but intents are kind of the shift that is happening undergirding how we interact with blockchains. And at a very fundamental level, all intents are is kind of like a new framework for constructing blockchain based programs where instead of needing to outline the instructions as a user for what you want to get done, like, hey, 
I want to use Uniswap to swap between such and such tokens for such and such a fee. Um, and I'll, I'll bid this much in order to make sure that it gets propagated to the network. All these instructions and stuff, you don't need to understand all that, but that's what you need to do in order to transact today. Intents unlock this new way of interacting with programs where you don't identify the how, but you just identify what you want to do, which is, you know, in, in reality, when you're using something like Uniswap, going back to that example, I just want the best price for my Ethereum or whatever it is. You tell the program that, and then they outsource the work of routing that transaction to a network of, you know, there's a bunch of different names, um, but typically they're called solvers, where it's these third parties that kind of bid for the opportunity to effectuate your goal, your intent. And we can talk about the advantages and disadvantages of this kind of a system, but it is kind of a big paradigm shift we're seeing where a lot of programs are starting to adopt this sort of functionality to make blockchains more basically user accessible because they're becoming so complicated and there's a million different ways to do any given transaction that outlining those rote instructions can be hard for any user to accomplish. You know, I maybe it's worth also saying on the pod, the taxi reference in, in your piece, because I think that really helped me understand the problem it's time to solve. And, and this problem that you're getting at is that it seems like the way to have, like if you want to make a swap or do anything on the blockchain, it's clunky. And this sort of like clears the way, like you still get to that endpoint by making it more efficient. Is that like a, mm -hmm. is that correct? And yeah, the taxi analogy that you raise is like today, Using Ethereum or, you know, basically any, you know, dominant blockchain is like hailing a cab and then outlining the instructions, the directions turn by turn for the driver. And this new world of intents and the programs that are built around it and are being built around it, although they call it a bunch of different things, is like hopping into a cab and just saying, hey, here's where I want to go and then leaving it to the driver to figure out the route and map us there. Sure. So, but what happens if, you know, what happens if you have, if you're the passenger that's like a, you know, a backstreet driver or a passenger princess, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And also what happens if you're an Uber and, or you get into a cab and you notice that they're taking the long way yeah. and circumventing certain, like trying to up the price of your cab, right? Like how does that translate onto the blockchain basically? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a really good question. So to tackle the first part first, it's like, okay, what happens if you're, you know, still the kind of person who wants to be a backseat driver? You can usually still do that. There's a bunch of ways to still interact on Ethereum or whatever else to say, hey, I want to use Uniswap specifically to do this thing and I'm going to pay this price. But, you know, at least in my case, I don't have a great sense of navigation. And so a lot of us are probably going to leave it to these protocols to handle these things for us. And with that comes the second part of your question, which is the problems that can arise, which is in these systems, you are now trusting a third party to do something that you, a user, would have done um, typically, so so let's think of an intent-based system where um, you know it's an exchange aggregator. So today, you figure out the exchange that you want to you know transact on. An intent-based exchange aggregator is where you would go and say, "Hey, my intent is to swap between these tokens. Figure out the best route. I want to save on gas. You know, I, I want to get the best price, so on and so forth. You can handle it." What happens is your intent goes to a market usually of solvers who bid to satisfy it and get be like, "Hey." I'm going to get you the best price. And one of those solvers ends up taking your transaction and going ahead and making it happen on chain. But in the analogy of the taxi, there is a chance that one of the solvers might, you know, take you the long way, run up the meter or do something, take you instead of to the, you know, if you're trying to go to a grocery store, but, you know, the taxi driver 
owns another competing grocery store, they might decide like, you know what, I'll, I'll bring you to the grocery store that that I own, even though maybe the prices are ultimately higher. There's a lot of like economics at play that explain why phenomena might arise where monopolies and all of these, you know, adverse incentives allow for this kind of behavior to propagate. But essentially, you can end up in this scenario where trusting third party solvers, even though they're competing in a market to do things for you can be a problem. I thought that was really good, Sam. I mean, I, I guess I'm curious if if it's analogous to kind of like Google and, and yeah. you type in, you know, what are intents Coindesk, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what does Coindesk say intents are, you know, versus just what are intents? And then you're just sort of trusting Google. If they don't send you to Coindesk, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe you can't trust the info, but that's who they're sending it to you because that's either they're getting paid maybe or that's just how their algorithm is sending you, right? It's, it's- yeah. I mean, like a, a key thing here that we haven't said yet is intense is a word that is basically describes what we're doing already in Web2, where Coinbase, which is mostly a Web2 company, you go to them, you say, hey, I want to sell this thing. This is my intent. They handle the rest for you. The purpose of these intent-based systems, the reason why there's a vocab word for them, even though they don't even call them all intents, like Suave, the Flashbots, MEV firm, we won't get into it. They call it preferences, but they all use this similar principle of outsourcing to a network of solvers. So the idea is that there is still this competitive market of solvers that come to satisfy your needs for the best price or what have you. But you can still end up with these monopolies. You can think of it like Uber, where it's like, hey, you know, they solve that whole, and I write about this in the piece, the, the whole problem of like the meter running up in the taxi analogy. But Uber then, you know, can seize the entire market because they do offer the best prices. And then once they ice out all the competition, they can hike prices for everybody, which is what we're seeing with the rising price of Ubers, even though, you know, nobody's giving you the runaround. So yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting game theory things that we might see come up over the years. We talk about AI and blockchain. That conversation can go a lot of different directions, but a lot of times it's sort of like, what can blockchain do for AI? Mm-hmm. I mean, this might be, is this a situation where the solvers, like the AI is kind of like perfect for, for yes. performing this function of the solver? I'm glad you asked that. And I can just like briefly answer, which is that because of the expanding potential things that you can do on blockchains, like it's no longer as simple as, hey, I want to trade these tokens. You have to decide where you want to do it. You have to maybe decide a bridge. If you're trading across different chains, you have to decide. There's like a, you know, a million different ways you can accomplish any given task. In computer science, there's this like concept of optimization problems, which are a really kind of difficult class of problems to solve, where you're trying to find the best path from point A to point B, optimize it. It's just a really hard thing to do. And AI is really, really good at that. So what solvers, best solvers are going to do is they're going to wield AI to kind of essentially solve these optimization problems, make the best guess about how to do something when you can't try every single possibility itself, which is why optimization problems are hard. So AI is going to kind of unlock a huge space for these solvers. But, you know, again, certain things can be proprietary and so on and so forth that end up entrenching bigger players. Thank you. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. We're going to talk about really it's a it's an extension of our conversation from last week about layer twos, but it just doesn't stop. It keeps coming. So we'll be right back. (laughs) 
calling all developers. Consensus 2024 is happening May 29th through the 31st in Austin, Texas. Experience three days of intensive learning with technical talks, 40-plus expert speakers, and 20 or more in-depth workshops, including dedicated half days for Ethereum and Bitcoin. Don't miss the opportunity to network at curated developer meetups, discover new career opportunities, and explore numerous side events and hacker houses around town. Score a Consensus 2024 Developer Pass for just $109, but act fast. Only a limited number of these passes are available. Visit consensus.coindesk.com now to secure your developer pass before they're gone. Coindesk's Money Reimagined with Michael Casey and Sheila Warren. I want to push back slightly on the idea that cash the value of it. I mean, that's what FX markets are about, right? Is like arbitraging differences in cash value. And there's a whole gigantic market around currency exchanges. And so I think there that we do see trading that happens in cash. But to your point, you know, the use of cash as a means of payment, etc., is pretty robust and sticky as a concept. And I think the joke is always, you know, if cash didn't exist, no one would invent it. But hey, it, it does exist. And so that's the world that we're in. Look, there is a crypto angle in this. Our job is not to sit here as either geopolitical or conflict resolution commentators, but it matters to everybody, every human being. Given how horrific this story is, the fact that there was an order to shut down crypto accounts used by Hamas and that Binance came in to cooperate with that, of course, is yet another negative story around crypto. Take the frame from wherever you want to take it, but by remaining silent about bad actors in our industry, about criminal behavior, about terrorists, about whatever it is, and we're just focusing on the topic of our show, but I mean this more generally, by remaining silent, we are complicit. You heard what she had to say. Go out there, call spades, spades, stand up for what is right. Like just, it's time to, to stop shirking the responsibilities we have. And yeah. it's just time to just stand up for what's right. Listen to Money Reimagined every Wednesday on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You can subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. All right, we are going to jump right back into our Protocol Village segment. And this week, Margo, we're talking about your story about OKX, another crypto exchange. This is last week, of course, uh, loyal protocol listeners will recall that Margo broke the news last week that Kraken, uh, the big crypto exchange, was uh, talking to teams about launching its L2 layer two atop Ethereum, which of course, you know, the first to do this was Coinbase launching its base. Uh, a couple months ago, and it's becoming all the rage. And now we have another one, OKX. Margo, tell us about this story. Yeah, so OKX is the latest exchange to come out with their own uh, layer two. And they have tapped Polygon to use their technology to build out its own its own network. So this is, you know, like we had talked a little bit about this last week that that it wouldn't be entirely a surprise if more exchanges came out with their own with their own L2s. And yeah, I think we're beginning to see, you know, this be a 
bigger trend. I still stand by. I think we'll see other exchanges maybe coming out with their own L2s. But I think it's also interesting because Polygon is now has a bigger name on this stage. Optimism OP stack was is being used by base. We don't know who Kraken is going to use, but Polygon is in the mix for that. So I wonder, you know, could Polygon sort of be out of the mix for Kraken because now it has a big share with OKX? That's still to be seen. But yeah, this is uh, exciting new developments when it comes to crypto exchanges going on chain. Margo, you know, just talk about Polygon for a second. Yeah, let's talk about Polygon. (laughs) I mean, they are, they are really, you, you know, I mean, I think of them in terms of they were really on the, they were the leader a couple of years ago among Ethereum scaling solutions. But maybe, you know, they were kind of on the wrong side of the tech. They were not a roll-up. Technically, they were not, you know, ZK for sure. But they've really fought their way back into this into this game. I don't know. Is that the way you see it? Or how do you think about, you know, Polygon kind of really asserting itself as a player in this new era? Yeah, I mean, it's always been a big player in the space. I mean, I don't want to give anyone the title of leader for, you know, they're, they're, there's all these big teams and they have all looked at different ways to scale Ethereum. But you're right. The Polygon POS chain is, is the main, they're basically their, their original main net was considered a sidechain for a long time. It still is a sidechain, by the way. But now they have their own ZK rollup. And, you know, they've also addressed that they're looking to bring ZK to the main chain. So to this Polygon POS chain. So they're really owning the ZK narrative, I would say. And this just sort of also proves that or proves that they are really committed to this because it is, I mean, you know, like I said, base is based on optimistic technology. And this is the first exchange that we know of right now that is using ZK technology. We don't know if Kraken is going to decide to use a ZK rollup. All we do know is that they like some of the people that they're having discussion with are ZK teams, but it's not necessarily confirmed that it will be a ZK rollup. So definitely I think Polygon is is really owning that narrative for the for the time being. What do you think about in terms of like, you know, obviously, like you just mentioned, there's optimistic rollups and also ZK rollups, but the ZK rollups are newer and have taken a lot longer to gain steam for mm-hmm. a bunch of technical reasons. I wonder if you think strategically there's any element to choosing to deploy an optimistic chain if you actually want people to use your chain and then mm-hmm. choosing to deploy a ZK chain if you want to have that kind of branding, that flashy, you know, hey, we are in front of the tech, even though our, our chain might not be as usable. Is that like a fair kind of way to sum things up? Or do you think that might be what we're seeing here? Yeah, I think everyone is, so- is sort of starting to embrace the ZK nests of chains, even if it's not optimistic, because I will say that, you know, Jesse Pollock from from Base, he sort of has reconciled with that you know, base is based off of optimistic rollup, but he always argues that it's modular, that once, you know, they're, they've invested resources, they have a team that's looking to bring ZK proofs to the OP stack. Like, I think everyone has cautioned that it's definitely a newer technology that's still under development. And that's been like rushed, right? We about, a, I would say about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we thought, we still thought that the ZK rollups were like five, 10 years away. Now it's here, but everything has rushed, including this OKX L2, you know, Jesse said that they spent about a year and a half going around the different teams, interviewing how what it would be like for Coindace to sort of navigate this this system and going on chain. But uh, the OKX folks told me that this agreement only came to life like a few weeks ago. That you know, I think they even signed 
their agreement like a week before the announcement came out. So this is this is really, really new and really, really rushed. I mean, I also think that maybe part of the rush is because they're noticing that this is a bigger story that's going on, that all these different crypto exchanges all of a sudden want to come out with their own layer twos for whatever reason. And so maybe that's why like you sign the agreement, like let's tell the whole world about this, even though we don't maybe know the full consequences of coming out with an L2. One, one thing that I think about is, you know, if you think about first mover advantage mm-hmm. here, right? Like in other words, there's, there's first to market, you know, that's one thing, you know, but then there's also first to get sales, you know, and land yeah. clients. And it, it seems like, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, kind of the early results of this, you know, race to get out in front here with the layer twos, you know, and, and so it's part marketing, you know, I mean, obviously polygons, like, Super psyched to go around and tell everybody that they've landed oh, yeah. OKX, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> right? and then everyone also says Polygon is the best marketing team in all of crypto, you know? So, so they definitely know what they're doing in terms okay. of, in terms right. of getting that message out. I wouldn't doubt them for that, but yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I will say that they are expecting the, the network to go live in the first quarter of 2024. So, wow, I mean, that that's anywhere between fast. six that's, to yeah. six weeks to three and a half months at this point. We're in mid-November, right? So still yeah. pretty soon. I mean, it shows, I mean, it shows that these things have basically come to the point where they're off the shelf more or less. Right. Well, I mean, no, there, I mean, I was going to say there. that's the, the, you know, the term coined by Sam blockchain in a box. This is exactly what it is. Like here, let's give you the box. You right. build your own blockchain. <laughs> right. So yeah. Interesting. Well, but then also once you get in there, you start getting experience, right? And so you start like, you know, if stuff goes wrong, sometimes that's a good thing, right? You're learning those mistakes early, you know, before it matters, like when you know sort of experimental networks. But then all of a sudden, you know, also people look at these TVL numbers. So you start getting builders on there and you start building like a community critical mass and then people watch those numbers and that just kind of feeds on itself, it would seem like, you know. At any rate, you know, I mean, also regarding Polygon, Lila Ledesma, our colleague in London, who was at the uh, Near Foundations uh, conference last week in Lisbon. And Near is kind of interesting. I mean, they're a layer one, but they are, you know, it seems like kind of pivoting to become more of a Ethereum solutions focused. They announced a collaboration with Polygon to come up with a ZK, they call it a ZK Wasm. So, you know, a zero knowledge prover for WebAssembly blockchains, which is kind of a different standard from the, the EVM, uh, Ethereum virtual machine that a lot of, a lot of, a lot of blockchains use. Uh, but I mean, to your point, Margo, that's the optionality there, right? Of, of giving some of these other blockchains, uh, the optionality of plugging in ZK. And, and again, like Polygon's kind of right in the middle of that, it seems like. Yeah, I would be, I would caution though with calling it a layer two though, because they're not, it's not like they're posting their data to Ethereum, right? And so they are their own standalone blockchain, but it is interesting to see what, you know, where else Polygon is percolating into and as they continue to sort of be everywhere at the same time. 
I think we always do need to take a moment to acknowledge how insane it is, how many different chains, how many now different layer twos or layer two likes. And I think we should honestly like take a tally of all of like how many like big multi-million dollar in deposit chains there are today and then check back in, you know, a year, two years, three years. Because it does kind of feel like how there was like that layer one boom, like with the ICO boom in 2016. And we saw a lot of things sort of like peter out. I wonder if we're seeing kind of like a similar thing now where everybody's kind of like FOMOing in to creating these optimistic or ZK solutions. And, you know, whether I, I can't imagine they all have, you know, as good strategies for actually getting people to use them. And maybe some of them don't have strategies. And part of it is like the marketing that we've talked about. So yeah. I don't know. The phenomena is kind of like crazy because there's no way, frankly, there's like more chains, it feels like than users sometimes, yeah. at least at this part of the cycle. Well, it'll be also interesting. It's sort of like how we see it now, right? There was like this boom a few years ago of all these layer ones, like you were saying. And now I would say users sort of hang out in a certain amount of blockchains that I can probably fit on, you know, one hand, maybe two. I'm trying to be generous, but I think that will be the same thing. And, and like you said, also, a lot of this technology is coming from like the same four or five companies, right? Like right now we have mm -hmm. OP. We have Polygon, Matter Labs is, you know, in the mix for Kraken. Arbitrum has its own layer three, like blockchain in a box orbits. It's great that they have all these offerings, but we'll have to see how how useful they actually are for, for future users. I mean, it's kind of Arbitrum, you know, if you look at the L2 beat, right, uh, which ranks the various layer twos, Arbitrum's on top there, but they don't seem to have been at the center of any of these big deals so far, right? I mean, or, or have they? Yeah, we haven't we haven't heard necessarily yet. But I also think Arbitrum is so focused on like just building out Arbitrum that Interesting. it's not as part of their game. I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for them. But yeah, maybe Sam, you you know the folks pretty well. I over mean, there. It, it might be as simple as like they made this choice where you essentially need to pay a fee to license their technology, like a licensing fee of some kind, in order to use it in your systems in a way that you don't have to do with for example, optimism. And that was a deliberate choice. Maybe they're betting, you know what, Arbitrum is the one to rule them all and we'll have some stuff in our ecosystem. But in terms of building your own layer two, we're going to charge extra money and we don't pe want people to compete with us. There is a chance that, you know, base chains um, are getting or, you know, original chains are getting like cannibalized or stand to be cannibalized by you know, all of the proliferation of layer twos that are built on this technology. So it's a bet that they made. I guess we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, we're talking about Polygon here, but, you know, OP stack continues to make, you know, progress. You know, there's people probably who are behind these deals, making these deals happen. But all right. Thank you, Margo, for that uh, really interesting story <laughs> and being on top of it. And we're going to wrap it there. Thank you for listening to the Protocol Podcast. Shout out to our special producer, Michelle Musso, who is making us all sound good. And I uh, had her birthday last week. Hope you had a happy birthday, Michelle. Happy early uh, birthday, Brad. If you have any... <laughs> happy early birthday. Uh, it's a birthday month on the podcast. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's several of us Scorpios here, right? We, we get each other. <laughs> but all right if you have any questions about any stories or comments or of course hot news leads uh that margo 
or Sam can chase down, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Protocol. You can listen to us weekly on Coindesk Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Protocol. It's really good. I promise you, if you're into this stuff, on Coindesk.com. See you next week. Thank you.